And Waymo was notified as under, you know, this is usually how like the FOIA Freedom of, Freedom of Information Act usually works. The company is informed. Waymo. Okay, you guys, I'm sorry. I've got a. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. As always, I'm Alex Roy, the founder of the Human Driving Association, the producer of Apex, a secret race across America, and the director of special operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this show. And I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor at TechCrunch and proud owner of now a VW Eurovan mm. and, and a Porsche 928S. Oh, that is a that is a combo. Uh, and I am Ed Niedermeyer. I am the communications director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the unvarnished story of Tesla Motors. And Kirsten, I hope you're going to be getting out for uh, a little trip in that van soon because you've been working hard, uh, as witnessed by a story of yours that just dropped. Why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, so... In the world of autonomous vehicles, everyone's kind of creeping, I guess, towards commercialization. So we've got some companies testing, some companies getting the proper permits together, some, you know, folding and getting acquired. And uh, Cruise, which originally was going to launch a driverless ride hailing service in 2019, now appears to be taking the first really big step, which is opening up a driverless ride-hailing service to the public. couple caveats there. Um, they're not charging for rides because they do not have the proper permit yet from the California Public Utilities Commission. Um, but they, um, so they'll be free. Um, a positive one, I think, a caveat is that they're not requiring folks to sign an NDA, <clears throat> which was what Waymo did early on with their early rider program. But we don't know how they're going to be vetting public, um, where they're going to be really operating, um, and what hours of operation. I did just confirm with the company that right now their service that they've been offering to employees, um, and these employees have been posting videos on YouTube and stuff, is from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. How convenient. Right. Okay. Um, convenient, so- convenient how, though? I mean, just because there's less traffic. Typically, there's less traffic. You're not dealing with pedestrians and cyclists as often, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I also don't know if they they are already operating in a a limited geofenced area within San Francisco, but I don't know if that's even going to be smaller for the public. I imagine it will be just because that's been the strategy of like every other company um, that's been, you know, trying to deploy. But it is a notable milestone for sure. Um, and then in addition to that, because now they have demonstrated that here we are, we're about to deploy commercially, um, that has unlocked a very important amount of money from SoftBank. So SoftBank was an investor a few years ago and they committed to investing 900 million. But if they were, once they commercialized, they would get another 1.35 billion in investment. And so that has now happened. So Cruise has now got a bunch more cash um, and is opening it up to the public. So Alex, the question is, have you already signed up to get it? Of course, I I signed up like within minutes of Kyle Vogt tweeting this. 
Um, <laughs> it's my job to sign up. Uh, I, I love the, uh, I, I love the timing of these things because just two weeks ago, Dan Ammon was out and it was a big to do. And then last yeah. week, Waymo announces they've driven 2.7 million miles in San Francisco. And I, I, this little piece, the cynic in me says that Cruz could have announced this anytime and, uh, and they wanted to take back the news cycle and not seed the optics ground to Waymo. Because if Waymo announced that they were doing you know, public rides in San Francisco before Cruz did, <laughs> Cruz should just pack their bags. So, um, Really? Do you think that they can't all exist within the same city? Oh, they can, but the optics of it. Like, we're, look, we've right. said on this show, we've talked for a long time about MA in this sector and it's accelerating even faster than my fastest predictions. And right now, I mean, the public, well, public markets still are not entirely grasping how to predict winners or even what winning or success would look like in this space. And so a thing like this, we're opening up rides to the public at only at night in a few neighborhoods is, is it's, it's enough to glom onto. Um, and certainly doing it before Waymo, I think was pretty critical in the wake of Amazon's departure. That's just my cynical view. Because can you imagine if Waymo had come out before Cruise and offered even a few rides to anybody, to the public, it would be, mm, it wouldn't look good. Interesting. Well, and then what about Zooks? That would have been actually the like sleeper hit. Like if Zooks just <laughs> that would have been out before everyone hit. else. Uh, but I mean, they've already gotten, the thing is they're not under, they already got acquired by Amazon. So they're not under pressure to pull out, you know, these, to meet these arbitrary deadlines. I mean, crews set themselves up that they had to do this sooner or later because they have the, the tranches of money are attached to these, these deadlines, but none of it means anything unless there's revenue generated and you're on the path to building a real business. And this is no slight on, on cruise or Zooks or anybody, but I think it's a lot more. I mean, if you, one goes down to Chandler and rides in a Waymo, you can, you can see the contours of what operations look like, like how many people, how many cars, what service, is what level of supports required to maintain a service with uptime to to create a product that consumers can actually use? So opening up to a handful of people um, at night is very different from standing up operations and and with uptime metrics you got to meet. So. Sure, sure. I mean, I would argue that um, that strategy doesn't surprise me though because. I would like to be pointed to any company in the AV space that has ever just flooded the marketplace with hundreds of AVs all at once with no <laughs> geofence and hours of operations and didn't vet the, po- I mean, Waymo, for example, had this whole early rider program in which people signed NDAs. And then it was slowly went to this next stage with NDAs no longer applied. And then, you know, so I, in a way, if if you want to avoid something bad happening, and if you want to learn, this is the way to do it. This, well, well, but if you want to learn, you want more people. But if you don't want bad shit to happen, you probably want to keep it limited. So there is this constant conflict between like, when do you open it up to more and more people and geofence? Obviously, the best data will come from when they have 
um, all sorts of walks of life, all sorts of uh, hours of the day in every neighborhood. And then you really learn how this should operate. But I mean, the, 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 the bottom line is until someone's operating daytime downtown uh, and even Waymo, Waymo doesn't do, or at least Waymo is not doing that in Phoenix. So I think the next thing you're going to see, I mean, I'm going to exclude my own employer from this because just to be fair, I think the next thing you're going to see is Waymo is going to announce daytime driverless downtown San Francisco. And that just st- that's just like sticks a little ice pick and cruises uh, San Francisco plan. What's the movie? Is it Godzilla that where the, uh, they stand above the city? Godzilla and King Kong are both in the city of San Francisco. And the guy says, let them fight. Uh, no, that was, uh, that's from the original. Yeah, from that's, that's, from yeah, that's what's happening here. It's like, Kong, yeah, it's like it's Godzilla. It's like let them fight. Um, yeah, so there, there you go. That's my prediction. Waymo announces driverless in downtown San Francisco daytime. Alex, and I'm I'm maybe embarrassing myself here for for not knowing the answer to this. Has Cruz mentioned even mentioned other cities or or started testing in other cities? Well, they, we know have, of? Uh, they have. They have some pilots. Uh, I think they have middle mile pilots. I don't have my map out. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, I know they have a partnership with uh, with Walmart, but I don't that's, know. That's uh, Scottsdale. Oh, that's in Scott. So that's in Arizona. Scottsdale, okay, so they yeah. so they are operating elsewhere. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, but again, know. that's that's an easy that's an sure. easy low complexity area. Yeah. Um, um, I guess, I guess the point is, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, we're seeing new like startups in, in the AV space get funding, um, but they're all really sort of focused, narrow, um, you know, sort of solving a specific, you know, very specific problem. What we're not seeing is, is necessarily, obviously there's not going to be, I don't think more of these sort of cruise Waymo Argo sort of build one platform that, in theory, you know, will at some point be able to be adapted to, you know, all kinds of domains and, um, uh, and use cases. Um, and so I think it, it seems to me that one of the areas for competition now, like besides, you know, getting up and operational, as you were just describing, is sort of like proving that your technology has that kind of flexibility, which is, it's hard. You know, I, I'm pretty. Uh, you know, look, look I, multiple companies are going to develop AV tech that's going to work on safely on public streets. Uh, I'm, cu- I, I'm curious uh, as to the depth and breadth of like the operational capabilities of some of these companies. I think they vary greatly. And then, I mean, that's why the you know the Tesla FSD stands. Like those guys are very funny because. Uh, they, they're assuming that the technology just works and then it's like it works. And then suddenly out of nowhere, hundreds of thousands of people in operations, maintenance and logistics just magically are conjured up. <laughs> and that's very, that's like suggesting that um, FedEx can be invented overnight. And yeah. yet FedEx cannot be invented overnight, nor can UPS or any uh, Amazon took how many years to build up their logistics ar- uh, and operations arms to support delivery. Well, this is the history of the United States in, in the 20th century. And like it's how, how we deployed to Europe, World War II. It, this is the, um, the supply chain or supply train, 
behind a very large business is enormous and cannot be ignored. Um, and that's the difference between a technology and the technology that becomes a product that scales. That's the difference between an invention and an innovation. And an innovation, yeah. Yeah. So I think we should talk about another autonomous vehicle uh, news story. And actually one that has pretty broad implications for the industry, which is the lawsuit that Waymo filed. <laughs> this is the lawsuit that Waymo filed against the California DMV. Um, and then... Ed, do you want to dive into what this actually was, or do you do you want me to keep blathering on? Well, I mean, you you reported on it. Um, I mean, I'm I'm happy to. I definitely have some thoughts on it. But um, all right, I'll give the I'll give the long and short, and then you can, and then you and Alex can give your <laughs> give your thoughts. Okay, so the news story is is that Waymo has uh, filed a lawsuit against the Department of Motor Vehicles in California, although they're really kind of like a passive. Um, defendant in this case. Um, and it all stems from really what is a trade secret and what is not. As part of the permitting process in the state of California to be able to test and operate uh, driverless or drivered um, autonomous vehicles, um, you have to provide a bunch of information. And someone filed a, a Freedom of Information Act request um, seeking some of this information, and Waymo does not want that out there. And file a lawsuit arguing that this driverless data um, falls under a trade secret. And the reason why this has broad implications is because some of these details um, are about emergency operations um, related to maybe how they deal with collisions, um, how they deal with the vehicle if it goes outside of a geofence. Um, and, and so basically, some data that appears to directly relate to how their safety operations are. Uh, to be fair, Waymo does share a lot of information already, but this is this is a little different, right? So this is in um, in addition to what they share publicly, um, and possibly the most interesting. So the hard thing to know about this is whether it's a trade secret or not, because we can't see the redacted information. <laughs> so the only way for us to determine whether it's a trade secret would be able to see that redacted information and be like, yeah, that's a, that's a trade secret. But Waymo doesn't want that to happen. They don't want anyone's eyes on it. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough one, right? Because on the one hand, like I think one of the most important ways that the AV sector differentiates itself from like a lot of other tech plays um, is that they've been very explicit about wanting to earn the public's trust for the technology, needing and 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 wanting to earn the public's trust for the technology. It's a very different approach than the typical sort of we just develop something and blitz scale it and you know just kind of shove it down everyone's throat. And I think it's a really I think it's a a, a really positive sort of paradigm for for something like this. Um, but on the other hand, you know it's also a, a of you know high tech business that is full of all kinds of um secrets and that you know and and these two things come into to conflict and it seems like this is really sort of the the place where that conflict is sort of most acute because on the one hand you know again as you said Kirsten we don't know necessarily like the a lot about the details of this um because it is about about trade secrets but fundamentally it's it's about you know crashes and it's to me, it's you know, if you if you're earning the public trust, you got to talk about, you got to be transparent about about 
about crashes when they happen. And so um, I, it, this is a tough one. Alex? Alex? Well, um, you know, I like to use the words optimal and suboptimal. And I would always say that litigation is um, should always be a last resort. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, this wasn't my call, but man, um, it's not the best look. So one, one little detail of this that I haven't seen discussed really at all. That's always interesting. Kirsten, as you mentioned, you know, the, the DMV sort of stuck in the middle here. What we don't know is who's requesting this information and why is it is it a reporter because it specifically hasn't been said Um, right it hasn't been said and i and i suspect it is a reporter but we don't know um and the the interesting update since the since the lawsuit was filed was that a judge did give a temporary restraining order to waymo so basically they can keep this information redacted um and at least for the next 22 days, and then there'll be a hearing. What I, the risk here is that their lawsuit, if they win, um, opens the door to virtually every other autonomous vehicle company making the same argument and kind of pushing the definition of trade secrets. (laughs) And so while it might be absolutely fair in the case of Waymo, we don't know because we can't see the redacted information. It might not be for the next company that comes along. And so we're sort of cracking that door open. Um, I did talk and reach out to a few experts when I was kind of just trying to get my wrap my head around what the implications were going to be. And in my newsletter, uh, I had an interesting um, email conversation with a guy named Matthew Wainsley. He was a former general counsel, counsel of... Um, Newtonomy, which Newtonomy Aptive acquired, and then now it has that joint venture with um, with uh, Hyundai, and it's called Motional. And he's a law professor as well. And he, in his view, he's the best way for the public to assess AV companies' safety performance is to require companies to file crash reports. Um, he's at the weak part of the California crash reporting system, which I didn't know is if a crash is in conventional mode, so the safety driver is in control of the vehicle at the time of the actual crash, the company isn't required to say whether the safety driver took over in the moments before the crash, which is kind of an interesting little loophole. So this would suggest that the safety driver was you know, worried and continued autonomous operation would lead to a crash. And so his contention is that an easy way to fix one piece of this is to require companies to disclose the time elapsed between the when the AV was last operated in autonomous mode and the um, collision. So it doesn't address the larger point of what is a trade secret and what is not, but it he does bring up an interesting point of like data is data is data. Like all data is not created equal. Like that is an important piece of information that right now isn't required to be reported. Um, and could give some insight to regulators um, into how these vehicles are being operated. Because as we know, a lot of them, these collisions that are happening are happening in quote unquote, like non-autonomous mode. So like being driven by the safety driver, but we don't actually know if it's because the safety driver took control and then was hit or, or if it was 
in manual mode the whole time. And then just like they got hit from behind or something. Yeah. So just to, to provide a little bit more uh, just detail on the trade secret information that, that Waymo is, is saying that they have to provide uh, because they give examples in their filing. Um, and they say it includes detail about the operational design domain of the autonomous vehicle to be deployed. Uh, the geography where it's operating, right? The operating restrictions applicable to the autonomous vehicle, details concerning how the vehicle reacts when outside of its ODD uh, or when encountering restricted conditions, and proprietary information related to manufacturers' testing of autonomous technologies in the relevant operational design domain. Um, and um, yeah, I think uh, I think you know that the the solution that that was presented is pretty reasonable. Um, I I just think in general, like the need for public trust. And, 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 and I want to be really like, clear about this because like Waymo has actually been more transparent than a lot of the other automakers in terms of releasing safety data and, and things like that. Um, but this is, um, you know, and this is sort of the first time where they've sort of, that, that I'm aware of anyway, where they really start, you know, drew a line that, that is more restrictive, less transparent than, than, than the other players. Um, and you're right, Kirsten, if, if they, if, if this is okay for them, then it's okay for everyone. And, um, and I just, I'm, I'm very curious, you know, how they propose to, to really earn the public's trust if they're not, you know, if, if there's some question about, about the crash statistics and, and by the way, like this is an issue for a number of things, right? So like, I think with Tesla, when they, you know, Tesla's safety report, which is already like <laughs> deeply, a deeply compromised, I mean, whatever the data is, the data it just doesn't say what they say. They say it says, but <laughs> but there's some question there too of like right because we know from the research into the handoff problem that if you have an automated system on and you're inattentive and it needs you to it, the amount of time it takes you to regain situational awareness and control the vehicle and make a smart move can be in the like seven ten seconds even more depending on the circumstances. Um, and so, you know, there are questions too about ADAS. And by the way, this is going to be an issue. Um, and actually, I'm not sure what the the new reporting rule says from NHTSA, but like, you know, that that number matters. How long prior to the crash was the ADS or the or the ADAS, you know, active? That that is absolutely a a, a reasonable thing that we need. A, we need a standard around it, basically. And speaking of uh, well, standards. On this show, three years ago, we talked about um, the absence, the shocking absence of startups building transition monitoring systems or transition management systems, mode to mode. And the the window for a startup to do that pre-regulatory agencies starting to look at it may still be open. I don't know how long it's going to be open if companies don't start showing some real innovation here. Uh, and that's applicable uh, just as much to privately owned vehicles and driver assistance as it is to what you're referring to. So, anyway, shall we move on to topic number three? And can Kirsten lead this topic? Uh, well, actually, I was kind of thinking that maybe, Alex, you had the most to oh, say about gosh. it. But we wanted to talk about the Self-Driving Coalition you know, changing its name. Self-driving coalition. It's changed its name to Autonomous Vehicle Industry Association. Am I correct? I think so. Avia, yep. Mm. What so, are your thoughts? Does it matter? Do we care? So this is interesting. And 
So a few months ago, was it a year ago? Waymo, how long ago? Was it Waymo changed the name of their public-facing education platform from let's talk self-driving to let's talk autonomous driving. And at the time, it seemed to me like that basically seeded, since they're the, you know, perceived to be the leader in the industry, seeded the word self-driving to the Tesla stands and just Elon Musk. I, I had mixed feelings about it, but I could see their point of view because fighting a you know, battle, a lonely battle to, you know, get people to force a millions of people to change the use of a term is tough. And I think this is uh, follows in the footsteps. Like, there's a very good reason to focus on one word: autonomous vehicles. I get it, and I think it's important. But it by moving the by seeding self-driving to the broader world doesn't necessarily guarantee that it is seeded to parties that are clear about its use. And I think what's going to happen is self-driving is going to devolve even further and no longer be defended by the good actors. And the good actors meaning the companies building true level four autonomous technology. So I think what we're going to see is self-driving is going to oscillate as a term between the Tesla community who think it's just basically synonymous with full self-driving and their vision of level five. But it's also going to get used by a lot of people in the driver assistance space. So I don't know how much this actually solves for the broader universe of automated driving. I think it only solves uh, putting up a wall around companies that do level four. So language is an interesting issue with terminology. It has been an interesting and evolving problem in this industry Um, because there was a time, for example, when ADAS systems that had some automated driving features were considered, were called semi-autonomous, for example. And we used to have this kind of joke, like you can't, you're either are or you're not. And then um, we saw it go to um, now more recently, I hear ADAS being used as automated driving, but then the word that I keep seeing popped up or the term is partial automation. And the problem with all of these is that um, it doesn't actually, we're, we're looking for a term that, at least for me as a journalist, I'm looking for a term that that is accurate and also is understandable. So will the casual reader like understand what partial automation means or not? Self-driving has always been a very kind of accurate term to talk about the vehicle driving itself. Like even driverless is kind of problematic because technically speaking, it isn't driverless. It's just human driverless. Um, so I've I had I've had this struggle for a long time, and what I try to lean into is usually then explaining what that function is, um, or saying this is an advanced driver assistance system with a couple of automated features, which are this. But that, of course, is very difficult. That's very lengthy. That isn't a quick word to describe something. And so I've always kind of like, I don't see a problem with the term self-driving just because I think it's very easy to understand. And yes, does Tesla completely try to take over that term? 100%. But I'm just not ready to cede control to that because I do think that it is 
the easiest for people to get right away. Right. And, and especially <sighs> because, I mean, the Tesla, Tesla's system is not self-driving, right? Like that's, that's the issue with it. It's not the use of the term self-driving. It's that, it's that it's not in fact, um, you know, self-driving. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm kind of in a similar place with you. I, I mean, we've had so many conversations about nomenclature on this show and, and obviously it's been something I've, you know, had to put a lot of thought into it at, at PAVE. And honestly, Kirsten, I am like, I've, I've kind of gone from thinking like, oh, there is, it may someday be possible to kind of standardize all this language down into like a, a, a single sort of standard. Um, and, and I, I don't know that that's even, it's really possible now. I think we're kind of stuck because in addition to just the challenges of each of these terms, like all these terms have their downsides. Like there are a lot of people, in fact, the, the hardcore academics hate autonomous because to them, an, an autonomous vehicle isn't actually autonomous. To them, an autonomous system is something like a space probe or whatever, where you send it out into space and it's just doing its thing. Um, and and so, you know, every term has its critics. I think what's most important for like sort of the autonomous washing risk, which is where I think this issue is, it's where the rubber hits the road, right? Is that, you know, there's there's good language, there's you know, less good language. And then there's language that, it, that actually endangers people. And I think that, that the language that endangers people has to be the focus. And I think that, you know, it's, a, it's really making progress. There is actually less about coming up with the right word for autonomy or whatever, and, and actually just being more precise about ADAS language. And, and so I actually think that the work that, um, Kelly Funkhauser uh, of Consumer Reports and a bunch of others have done with the um, clearing the confusion nomenclature standard for ADAS, that's in a lot of ways the most important stuff. Because if people know, there we do have a, a very clear standard rubric for, for, for describing these features. And, you know, as long as people are having the systems in their cars described to them accurately, that's that's really the important. That's where the the, the real risk is. The rest of it, like, I feel like it's it's just going to be a a, a hard kind of slog, and I think it really is just incumbent on on those of us who do know what we're talking about to just kind of explain things and and not and just not assume that people know like what each word means when we use it. So you bring up an important point in that there are real stakes in how ADOS systems are um, described. And there was a report that came out from the Law Commission. This is this independent body set up by the parliament in um, the UK. And basically, the commission said um, that there should be this very clear distinction between driver assistance features and, quote unquote, fully autonomous systems. And as a result, you know, the use like how this all plays into who is liable or legally responsible. And so that's, um, that is why nomenclature matters with ADOS systems, right? With the, if the driver is expected to maintain control because it's not a level four system, um, then, uh, then they're going to be probably liable. Right. Um, and so that's why nomenclature matters. The biggest abuse which just reminded me when I said it that I've heard recently that just frustrates me to no end is when I hear a uh, company talk about their ADAS system having level four features. Uh, what? I have not heard that. Who said that? So 
for example, uh, harking, right? That's considered, uh. you know. And so I think that that it's like they're slicing it in all these ways to show these greater functionality. But what's happening is you're uh, making things even murkier than ever before. And, um, you know, let's be honest, like holding down a key fob to summon or an app to summon your vehicle is not autonomous. You are who said holding that? it down. Who said that? It's not important. Someone I like? <laughs> no, no, I just, someone I, just I dislike. Heard, no, I mean, I just, I saw that link. I've seen that language used, um, here and there, sometimes casually, like in and around press briefings around, um, CES or like, um, you know, it, nothing like official, but again, this, this it's, it's like augmenting what this system can really do. Um, <sighs> it's just confusing. And so I think you're right. That ADAS part is probably more important than like, how does Cruz Waymo, you know, and the others describe what they're doing? Cause that's not in consumers hands for example, and they're not going to be liable once they're in it because they won't be uh, expected to take over. So uh, I I don't know what year this began, but the joke about the steering wheel spike, do you know where that originated? It's, it was Peter Wheeler was the CEO of, uh, of TVR in like the 80 or the nineties, I want to say. And he famously said that because the, the, you know, they were like a little, a small volume sort of kit maker and um, the government was forcing them to put in airbags. And he basically said that if he had his way, instead of putting airbags, they would put a spike in the middle of the steering wheel because then, because then people would drive safely. So a court, yeah, I'm looking this up. Apparently the original idea was ascribed uh, to Gordon Tullock and whom I've never heard of, you know, mm. anyway, so the steering spike, there is, in fact, I shouldn't get, share this on the podcast. I should write a column about this. Um, the steering spike the in autonomous vehicles would be analogous to um, uh, the uh, your Roy's razor litmus test. So if it's autonomous, you can get in the back. You have no liability. And it's perfectly okay for all the windows in the car to switch to Peppa Pig or some other <laughs> something which blocks the exterior view. <laughs> so that's to me like there that's like be like the trifecta. And anything else is just driver assistance. Uh, yeah, I'm all I'm gonna stick to the binary uh, argument and forever. That's it. Um and that's fair. I think yeah. the issue is that every automaker has their own branded um, way of describing these, these packages, these ADAS packages. Um, and they all use different terms and it doesn't actually tell you what it does. Ugh. So, um, you know, do, do people know when they buy a vehicle, what highway driver assist or traffic jam pilot assist does or whatever, pick, pick, pick a random bunch of words that, um, you know, you could do a Mad Libs of this. It's like put assist, drive, traffic, jam, pilot, um, highway and pilot Full, and like yeah. mix it around. And you pretty much cover virtually almost every, every automaker, uh, cruise, of course, we'd have to put that in. Um, and so again, it doesn't really tell the driver what, what it is, um, and what it does. I, and and, oh. I, I also think like, as I've 
you know, tease this, this issue apart in trying to develop like curriculum and stuff for PAVE, like it, it's really tempting to think that, that you can just change some language and that that's going to make the difference. But the reality is, is that, you know, words are, are signifiers and they connect to sort of complexes of, of, of understanding of knowledge. Right. And, and I, more and more, what I see uh, is that really like a lot of people's misperceptions stem from the fact that, that we have this really, really well-established fleshed out idea of a car and that anything that looks like a car or sounds like a car or could be described as a car, we just automatically think about it in terms of cars. And I think that part of what we need to do here in order for these, these words to start to even be useful um, as, as you know, is, is really make sure that, right. Because uh, you can use different language, but unless people have the, those knowledge complexes that you're signifying when you're making the distinction between this thing and that thing, um, you know, the, the, the using a different word doesn't matter. And so I think we need to do a lot to not just like help people understand autonomy better, but understand that like, there is, you know, driving automation as it exists within the context of a, of a car as we know it. But a lot of autonomy is really more like robots. Um, it's really better thought of as, yeah, as, as automation. And, and when you start to think about the differences between uh, those two things, then, then I think a, there's a lot of things about AVs that suddenly start to make sense to people. So I'm, I'm, I think that, that actually really a lot of the secret to, to, um, to AV education is actually like helping people, you know, think about cars and about driving because like one of the, one of the big problems is like, like self-driving, right. You know, I think the reason, one of the reasons people think that Tesla is self-driving is that, well, it accelerates and it brakes and it steers. What more is there to driving? And so like one of the big things that needs to happen is just like helping people understand that like, Hey, there's a ton of stuff that you're doing when you're driving that you may not be doing consciously, but it's still fundamental to driving. And if you weren't doing it, you know, you wouldn't be able to drive. And, and so I think like there's like helping people think consciously about, about cars and driving, which are something that we tend to interact with in a kind of not very thoughtful or critical um, kind of way is actually a really, really big piece about making progress on, on a bunch of these issues. On that note, I think we should close the show with our favorite topic. Which is oh my god! One yeah. one thing really quick before we just have to mention about that that UK law review. Uh, very important to to note. Um, the, the two big recommendations were one that that the the manufacturers be liable when the system's operating. And the other is that that there should be a criminal charges for using autonomous or self driving to describe a a, a driver assistance system. Um, their analysis around that second point. Uh, cited the uh, the the autonomous washing paper by Liza Dixon, who has been on this show, longtime friend of the show, um, one of my personal heroes, frankly, in the space at this point, just because she, Agreed. as one individual, has been able to make such a huge impact on this really, really, really important issue. So I just want to take a moment to to shout out um, Liza and the continued success and impact of of the work that she's done there. I'm really proud that we've been played a, a small part in helping popularize her thinking about that um and i really hope that um are you a ton of explaining continue yeah, to you grow are. you're a ton of explaining taking credit for liza's work no, i'm not taking credit for, <laughs> i'm, I'm saying we, we, all of us all right. uh, okay all right. last last story last story favorite um, topic 
our favorite, well, Ed's favorite topic, not mine, but we have to address it, is it gets to this idea of um, another ADOS system disguised in sheep's autonomy clothing. Um, and we're talking about Tesla FSD, which is the beta software that people pay, what, now $12,000 for? I've got um, it. Alex has it. Um, not sure if I admit that, but thank you for your transparency. And basically what's happening is there was a software update that allowed the vehicle when the system was engaged to roll through stop signs. Um, and we all know that they used to be called California stops, right? Do you remember that? I sure do. Long long time ago. Um, are they still called that? I'm not sure, but, uh, now there's been a, a, a recall that was issued and that's being rolled back. Um, so I'm going to pause and let Alex take over on his commentary on this since you have FSD. So this is, if I understand it correctly, this is a rollback of the option to switch from chill to standard to assertive mode. Yeah. Uh, And uh, I, you know, there's not much to say here. Uh, I always leave it in chill. I've always left it in chill. I've never understood why there was an option to change it to standard or assertive. The last thing I want is an assertive system rolling through a stop sign. I just don't want it unless Tesla takes responsibility or liability for what well, happens. I, I think that the, the, a huge problem is that Tesla would ever even feel comfortable putting something quote unquote assertive when it's a beta and people are testing it. Yeah. It's not as if it's complete as Elon likes to say, this shit ain't feature complete. I'm sorry. Um, when there are multiple videos out there showing lots of interventions, this is not ready. Feature complete isn't feature complete unless one of the features is Tesla's got the liability. It's been validated to the point where they can, they can take responsibility for what it does. Yeah, no. And, and look, I mean, this is, this shows how low the bar is for safety, road safety in this country that like. It, you know, that that they, that, first of all, that they did it, that they literally made this beta automated driving system, like allowed it to break the law, that they publicly disclosed that the system was basically allowed to break the law and that, and that, you know, it was on, out on the road for several weeks before NHTSA finally was like, no, you have to, to recall this. And, and, you know, they had to have discussions about it first and everything. And it's like, we're, we're talking about literally programming an ADS to break the law. Like that is the lowest hanging fruit of like safety. <laughs> Great. Back to Kirsten. <laughs> so I, I mean, that's all I have to say about it. I just think uh, we're going to continue to see this play out. And I have a, I have this, you know, thought that's been percolating in my head that I should probably write about before I share it um, here. But I think that we're going to continue to see this kind of experimentation by Tesla and we're all kind of along for the ride. And, um, and when I say all of us, I'm not just saying the people who own the vehicles, I'm saying literally everyone who encounters an FSD vehicle, including regulators and city officials. And they're all having to, um, adjust and shift. And what I think we're finding and Ed kind of, um, alluded to is, this lowest hanging fruit, like look what it took (laughs) and it took weeks. Like we're not nimble in this area and, or either don't have the authority um, or don't have the willingness to use that authority. 
And I'm curious to see how it evolves and if it then shifts to a different extreme, which is um, if Tesla pushes too far, if someone dies, um, if we're going to see a different kind of reaction. Yeah. And I think that's the, you know, just as as everyone uh, on the public roads is potentially at risk because of this, um, you know, similarly, I think everyone in the AV spaces is at risk uh, of this, you know, going wrong and, and, and having a really profound impact on, on just perceptions of the technology and, and the space. And already you see it. I mean, you see that Tesla's bad behavior is, is sort of smeared onto the other players, even though there are some very real and important distinctions between how they, they do things. And, and so like that risk should be pretty obvious. And, um, yeah, like, like honestly, at this point, just the fact that it's so janky and unpredictable is really what's keeping all of us safe because no one can trust it. And God forbid they do really make progress and do get close to, to something um, that, that feels like it could be trusted with your life. Like that's when we'll start seeing the the bad stuff happen. So here's, if I may just, I'm going to plug a column I wrote last year. Um, This is for all the regulators out there. Don't throw out the autonomous baby with the Tesla bathwater. Just whatever you do. And with that, That's a perfect place to end, and we'll see you here again on another episode of the Atonicast. I'm sorry. <laughs>